The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. We were blessed recently to have Elder Adam Green visit with us here at Zion Primitive Baptist Church. Brother Adam is pastor of Old Union Primitive Baptist Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. On the night he visited, he preached a powerful message from Isaiah chapter 62 and 63, answering the question found there, Who is this that cometh from Edom? There's a vivid picture there of the Lord Jesus Christ as our conquering Savior. And in this sermon, Brother Adam brings that out very vividly. I've posted this sermon as a whole rather than split it into two parts, so it's a little bit longer than our normal podcast episode, but I believe it's necessary to hear this sermon in its entirety in order to get the full effect of it. So I hope you'll take the time to listen to this sermon entitled, Who is This That Cometh from Edom? But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
So go with me, if you would, over into the 62nd chapter of the book of Isaiah. And I want to look at a portion of Scripture in the 63rd chapter, but I want to walk a little bit before we, uh, before we get there. Because I, I think the thought kind of starts with the paragraph that begins in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 10. So here in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 10, there's a command that goes out. And the command is to prepare a road. Uh, you know, we might say it in, in our vernacular today, we might say to kind of roll out the red carpet in a sense. It's to make a, an avenue there for someone to come into the town, for someone to make an approach to the place where they lived. And so in Isaiah 62, 10, he says, go through, go through the gates, prepare ye the way of the people, cast up, cast up the highway, gather out the stones, lift up a standard for the people. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, say ye to the daughter of Zion, behold, thy salvation cometh. He said, get the road ready. Go clear the brush out of the road, take the stones out, get the, get the flags placed right on the, on the flagstaff. And he says, get ready because here in just a moment, your salvation is going to appear. And he says, get ready for the appearing of your salvation. And he said, behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and thou shalt be called sought out. I think there's some election there, don't you think? Thou shalt be called sought out, a city not forsaken. So the word goes out, get the road ready, get the, get the streets clean, get the banners lifted because the salvation, the one who's identified as thy salvation is going to be arriving. So we all gather together and we're, and we're around the entrance to the city, around where the, where the road has been cleaned and been prepared. And they see someone coming into the city. And I want to tell you, the figure that they see is not the figure that they expect. Because the figure that's coming into the city is someone who has been in battle, but he doesn't look like what you would expect someone be who's coming back from war. You know, a lot of times movies or authors have pictured individuals who are coming back having been for a long time at war. And they, they paint a picture of someone, even the victors coming back, who are just exhausted, whose clothes are in tattered, Whose, whose faces are gaunt and whose bodies are emaciated. You know, I, I, can, I think about uh, the, the army of George Washington and everything that that army must have felt whenever Cornwallis, if I remember correctly, finally surrendered there to them. What they must have felt was a sense of victory and a sense of accomplishment and a sense of, of joy and rejoicing and relief. But what do you think they look like? What do you think they look like after that winter at Valley Forge? You know, they, they probably didn't look much like victors. <laughs> there, wasn't much, there wasn't much polish and there sure wasn't any spit to polish with you know, you know, whenever you looked at them. And that is, that is the natural, even for the victors, that is the natural look of someone who's returning from war. 
But they look at this individual. <laughs> He's not exhausted. He's not tired. He's not faint. He's not weary. And they say, who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, not traveling in the exhaustion of his fatigue, but traveling in the greatness of his strength. Here someone comes, and we get a little bit more of, of a picture of him if we go over into the book of Revelation. Turn with me real quick uh, to Revelation chapter 19. Let's get a little bit more of a picture here. In, Revela in Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 it says, And I saw heaven opened. I tell you, something good always happens when heaven opens, doesn't it? He says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. I'm going to stop right there just for a second because I don't want to get to the name. But he says he sees someone coming and this individual is someone who makes war. What we're seeing here is a warrior who the Bible says is traveling in the greatness of his strength. And it says in verse 13, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Stop there now. Don't get too far ahead of me. He's clothed in a vesture that's dipped in blood. But the reason Isaiah said that when you and I think of, of someone who's got clothes that are drenched in blood, the normal thought process is not someone who's glorious in their apparel. But the reason that he's glorious in his apparel is because the blood in this particular description of him isn't his blood. It's not his blood. He's coming into the city drenched not in his own blood in this particular picture. But he's drenched in the blood of his enemies. The sword that he holds in his hand is covered in the blood of his enemies. And he is coming into the city not dragging, not tired, not exhausted, not spent. But he's traveling still in the greatness of his strength. His power is not abated one bit. His resources have not been exhausted to any degree whatsoever. He is traveling fully who he has always been. He's traveling in the greatness of his strength. And he's a warrior. And they say, who is this? And he gives them an answer. He said, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Mighty to save. Now let's run back over and get the rest of that uh, portion of Revelation chapter 19. And he was clothed with a vesture uh, dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. If we had any questions about who that was, we could run over real quickly to the Gospel of John where John would tell us in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. 
And he said that, uh, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Why was that? Well, Paul tells us in Colossians, because in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Bodily. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. The individual, the mighty warrior that we're referring to here, the Word of God, is Jesus Christ. We do not serve a weak Savior. We don't serve a begging Savior. We do not serve a Savior who is defined by who we let him be. We, we serve one who is traveling in the greatness of his strength, mighty to save. Mighty to save. I get so irritated sometimes at the, uh, the portraits that people will make of Jesus Christ and they, they picture him being so effeminate. That's not Christ. That's not, first of all, it doesn't even look like what Jesus looked like. Because if it had, here's how it would have worked. Judas, we don't need to pay you 30 pieces of silver. We'll just go look for the six foot two, um, blonde-headed, blonde-beard, effeminate-looking Kurt Cobain-appearing guy who's standing around a circle of five foot six, dark hair, dark eye, dark beard Jews. It didn't work that way. Those pictures of Christ, they paid Judas money because they couldn't pick him out of a crowd. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him, not from a natural sense. The pictures of Christ are wrong. The theology of Christ is wrong because he is no weak savior. God says this in the 43rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, I, shall, I will work and who shall let it? Who shall, which of us is going to let God do anything? I remember Nebuchadnezzar, God uh, decided to humble him and Nebuchadnezzar thought about it and he decided to let him. Is that how that worked? I don't think how that's worked. He didn't let God do anything, but at the end of the time he said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, lifted up my eyes unto heaven. He said, my understanding returned unto me and I, I blessed the Most High. He said, his dominion. Nebuchadnezzar said, I thought I was something. <laughs> he said, but his dominion. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. He says, not like mine. Nebuchadnezzar's was going to and did come to an end, but not God's. The answer comes from this traveler here. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. And they look at him and they say, Wherefore, why art thou, art thou red in thine apparel, in thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat? He gives them an answer. And he says, I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood, he says shall be sprinkled upon my garments and I will stain all my raiment. There are pictures of, of the blood of Jesus Christ that is redemptive blood, that is the blood of sacrifice that we need to look at. The, the Bible says over in the book of Revelation, talking about Jesus Christ, he said there appeared a, a lamb as it had been slain. But again, that's not this picture. This picture is the victor. This picture is the warrior. 
Now go with me, if you would, over into the, my main text, um, over into the book of Habakkuk. So flip towards the end of the Old Testament. I'll give you a second to get there, but go to the book of Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk also gives us a picture of this mighty warrior. And he tells us we got to watch the warrior enter the city. We got to see all the people look at him and go, wow, he's not tired. He's not wounded. He is completely and totally the victor. Amen. The victor. And I'm going to tell you my personal opinion is that's a picture of Christ on the other side of the grave. And he was the victor. And they say here in Habakkuk, where's he been? Where's he coming from? So Habakkuk chapter 3, he's going to tell us where this warrior has been coming from. And he said, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. And that explains it all, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it I, I had to ask a lot of questions of a lot of good men to finally get, Brother Buddy, all these puzzle pieces to fit here. But when I finally did get to see what Habakkuk was talking about, I was like, man, Brother Chase, that's good stuff. Because look where he's coming from. He's already told us over there in Isaiah that he's, cut, that he's um, come from Eden. And Teman is one of the main cities there of Edom. The place of the Edomites who were a picture of the descendants there of Esau. Therefore a picture of the enemies of the people of God. Right. Not their friends. Right. Their enemies. Where is he coming from? He's coming from where our enemies were. He went to where the enemies were, and he's coming back from there. But he also came from Mount Paran. Well, where's Mount Paran? What does Mount Paran have to do with anything? Go with me, if you would, over into the book of Deuteronomy. And let's see what Mount Paran would have to do there with us. Deuteronomy chapter 33. Deuteronomy 33, verse 1. And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto Paran. I'm sorry, and rose up from Seir unto them. Now watch here. He shined forth from Mount Paran. He came with 10,000 of his saints. From his right hand went a fiery law for them. So he includes Paran here and, and places it right alongside the giving of the law. Now watch this. What do the Edomites and what do the place of the giving of the law have in common? What they have in common is that the enemies of the people of God and the law of God were both against the people of God. They were both against the people of God. So let's, let's deal with, um, with the, the law side of it first. Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross of Calvary, the Bible says he became sin for us. All of the sins of all of God's people. All of those sins were placed on Jesus Christ in such a way that they became his to bear. The Bible says, and the Lord hath laid near him the iniquity of us all. Is that how it works? It's not what it says, is it? 
In Isaiah chapter 53, it says, uh, And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was the sin bearer. There was, I, I don't understand how, but just as surely as you and I can be the bearers of the righteousness of Christ, he was just really and truly the bearers of our sins. They were on him. They were his in that great transaction. And what did he do? Go with you, if you would, over into the book of Colossians. In the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul tells us this. Colossians, I believe it's chapter 2. He says in verse 13 of Colossians 2, And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now watch this, verse 14 of Colossians 2. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. That was against us. Why? Because it called us what we were. It called us what we are. The reason it was, a, listen, the law of God is just and holy and good. The law of God is a reflection of God, but the law of God has said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die and can excuse sin. And therefore, because the law of God is holy, the law of God had to be against us. Had to be against us. So what did Christ do? Did he destroy the law? What did Christ say? Christ said, think not that I came to destroy the law. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. He said, I came to fulfill the law. It says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, not because of some fault in it, because of the fault in us. And says, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Friends, when Jesus Christ says, it is finished, and he died, all of the claims that God's law had for every sin of every one of God's children had been paid in such a way that God's law was satisfied. God's justice will not be handcuffed and bound and gagged and set over in a corner of heaven as it attempts to, to murmur and mumble saying they don't deserve to be here and being told to hush somewhere. God's justice will look at you and say, that man, that woman is as holy as God. Amen. And that's Bible. Amen, that's Bible. And he, God the Father, made him God the Son. He that knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It doesn't sound right to say that you and I before God's law are as righteous as God, but my Bible tells me it's true because of the work of the Son of God. And whether or not I understand it, I am obligated to believe it because God's word says it. If we, if we had to wait on Adam Green to understand something before it be true, we'd still be struggling with creation. We wouldn't have got out of Genesis 1. <laughs> So he took the law that was against us because of our sinfulness and he put it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. <laughs> but what about the enemies? What about what's represented there by Edom? You know, you and I have a great enemy. You and I have two great enemies. 
One, we have our adversary, the Bible says, that is the devil. The Bible says that as a roaring lion, he walketh about seeking whom he may devour, devour and tells us that his, his attempts are to be the accuser of the brethren before God. God's law won't have it. God's law is already ruled in the matter. And there is no such thing as double jeopardy in the court of God's holy courtroom. Now, the devil's against us and death is against us. Death consumes. It really does. There's no, the Bible says that there's, there's seven things, I think it is, that are never satisfied. And one of those things, it says, the grave never says it's enough. The grave is never satisfied. You know, the, the death and the grave and sin has a reign to it. There's an ascendancy to it. Outside of the work of God upon our, our behalf, every single one of us and everyone that we love at some, by some point will be utterly consumed by death forever, forever without God. What an enemy that is, that as sin hath reigned unto death, that's no little enemy. But you know what this warrior did? He didn't go out to a neutral site and say, here, I'm going to stand on this mountain and you stand on that mountain and we'll meet somewhere in the middle. He didn't say, we're going to go play a, a game, but we're going to play it on a neutral field. Let me tell you what he did, friends. He went into death. Wasn't a swoon. Wasn't a fainting spell, wasn't semi-comatose. The Bible says, and he died. He died. He went all the way into death. Now run with me, if you would, over into the uh, book of Hebrews. And let's look at Hebrews chapter 2. So when he went into the land of our enemy, what happened? It says in Hebrews chapter 2, he says in verse 14, For as much then... As the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. They ought to be, because death was going to win without Jesus Christ. But look at what he says over now in the book of Hosea. Uh, that's, this, uh, this warrior stands up and he says this, if I can find the, the place that I'm, that I'm looking for. Bear with me just for a second. Over in the book of Hosea chapter 13, he says in Hosea 13, 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. Not just the debt to the law, but he says, I'm going to take them out of the power of the grave. He says, I'm going to ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. And then, as it were, if you'll allow me a little liberty, it's as if he says with a mighty snarl, as he takes that sword and unsheaths the sword of the holiness of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he says, oh, death, I will be thy plagues. Oh, grave, I will be thy destruction. And he did so. He, by the death of Christ, death died. Amen. 
death died and the head of serpent was crushed. The devil was crushed. And all we're dealing with now is the death rattlings of a snake whose head's been crushed. Uh, and so he says, as that sword drips the blood of his enemies, of death and hell and sin, he says, O grave, where is thy victory now? O death! Where is thy sting? Because the law that was against us is saying, I'm satisfied. And death's not saying a word because its mouth's been shut forever. And it can't hold us anymore. Oh, death, I will be thy plagues. Oh, grave, I will be thy destruction. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel. Traveling in the greatness of his strength, he tells us. He says, here's who I am. I'm he that speaks in righteousness, mighty to save. Come ahead, Brother Chris. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.